The reading today is taken from James, chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, and it can be found on page 1,213 of the Church Bibles. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Dave and Lisa, can I invite you up to pray for you as you uh, bring God's word to us this morning? Or Dave on his own and Lisa later, not sure. (laughs) Um, So Dave works for Home for Good. I'm going to let him just take you through what he wants to say today, but can I pray for you first? Father God, I do thank you so much for Dave and for Lisa. And I pray, Lord, um, this, this morning that you would use his words to speak to us, that we would come with soft hearts that you would um, just lead and guide him. And we pray that we might learn more of you, more what it means to be that wonderfully hospitable and loving church family that you've called us to be. Mm. We pray your blessing on him Mm. and on Lisa in the name of Jesus. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank you. I'm just going to pop that down there. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Lovely to be with you. I've been chatting to Tim a few times, rather selfishly, he got ill today, so he can't be here with us, but um, it's been, it, I've been really looking forward to coming and sharing with you guys, and uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Um, but I'm going to start off this morning uh, with a story, um, and it starts like this. As they fled the only home that they'd ever known, their fears grew with each step, With only the clothes on their backs and a little more than a scrap of hope, their world had become a dangerous and a strange place. And what short-lived happiness as a married couple was a distant memory. Now this pair of refugees needed all their energy for survival on the run, and ahead of them lay hostilities that they could not imagine. And like so many migrants... Nights were spent in makeshift shelters, there was a daily struggle for food, and there was a potential for disaster at every turn, and that became part of their daily lives. And this went on for years. 
Their children were born amid violence and corruption. And even though they found safe haven for a number of years, one of their sons would be murdered and another would disappear. This family's experience was far from the only tragedy at the time. There were mass drownings, people trafficked, and attacks that wiped out entire cities. So much devastation and so little reason for it. The world watched on as news of their plight spread. Abandoned babies, bereaved women, distraught men, child soldiers and public executions, and the horror showed no sign of letting up. At one border crossing, some of the family's distant relations fled for their lives. The parents clutching hard to their little boy while behind them, toddlers were killed in their sleep. Though this particular lad would escape death as a child, it would catch up with him as a young adult. And images from his brutal execution at the hands of a barbaric military regime would go viral around the world. There is surely no hope left now as another couple packed up their things to leave the city. Now this sounds like another tragic tale emerging from the ashes of maybe modern-day Syria or Afghanistan as civil war and terrorists wreak havoc and misery. But this, this is not that story. This one actually could become or could be even more disturbing. It's from a book that's been banned in more countries than any other throughout the world. It's called the Bible and it's the story of the birth of Jesus. It's the Christmas story. So when we read this story, what odds do we give this little boy? What's his worth? What are his outcomes? What would he have in our world if he was born now? You know, so many children start off from such an incredibly difficult place, just like Jesus did. But you know, it doesn't only apply to refugees. Recently, the Department of Education released the annual figures for England that showed a rise of just over 2,000 in the number of children in care in our country. And the Fostering Network, which is a charity dedicated to raising awareness and supporting carers, estimated that a further 8,600 new foster carers are needed in the next year. At the end of 2018, there were 2,050 children waiting for adoption in England and 39% of those children have been waiting 18 months or more for a loving home. In the same month, a report was released by Action for Children stating that 85% of UK adults were not interested in fostering in the UK. Now, I don't know what those numbers do to you, but they deeply affect me as I think about kids and young people who have been ripped from a really difficult place into a complete unknown. But before I get into that, though, and what that means to us, I want to share a little bit about me and about my life. Now, myself, my wife Carly, and my uh, two birth kids started fostering about 10 years ago. And after a few months of waiting, we had a phone call, and our first foster daughter came into our home. Now, we started fostering for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I was doing youth work already and doing quite a lot of it, and I had a real sense that I should be serving the more vulnerable in our society. Secondly, my wife is a therapist who works with traumatized kids who have been adopted and fostered, and she never wanted to tell people about anything that she hadn't experienced herself and had a personal experience of. 
To be empathic in that work is more than useful. It's actually something you can connect with people. Thirdly, and I think this is the biggest reason, and it's what we just read, I think God tells us to do this stuff. In James 1.27, just to reiterate it, it says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, we don't get many orphans in the way that maybe we will be thinking about it in terms of the Bible. But actually, as I said at the beginning, you don't have to look far to see that there are literally thousands of kids who don't have a mum, a dad, or a family that look after them or can look after them. Now, when Lisa arrived at our house, she clearly had experienced trauma in her life, and she was frightened about the prospect of living with another family. Because of her early experiences, she'd forged this worldview of herself that she was not worth loving. And as we journeyed and we tried to convince her otherwise, she would do everything in her power to convince us that it was not true. You see, in those early days, it was too painful to trust adults again. It was too difficult to allow herself to be vulnerable. Essentially, I would put it like this. You are surrounded by love, but you will not accept it as you don't trust or want it. Her worldview was set. And such was her trauma that we couldn't enjoy simple things even like the cinema because she couldn't see the exits in the dark as to how she was going to escape if anything went wrong. And she would arrive at school an hour early so she could clock everyone going in and out to know exactly what was going to be going on. And she would never tell you what was going on for you, what was going on for her, because that meant giving away control. And that, in her experience, never worked out. Now, we were Lisa's fourth foster placement and we were together for three and a half years. And over that time, our family and our church, we lived through highs and lows together. And we, weren't, we learned what it meant to choose love rather than just feel it. Through all this time, Lisa would give us a little bit of vulnerability. And she would allow us into the child that she needed to be. And she would regress to a place that she had been robbed of in the past. Essentially, she would become the child that she had never been able to be before. It was like she somehow was reclaiming those early years that she had to survive with her birth family through. Within a short space of time, though, she would remember that we were the adults and then convinced herself that we were going to give up on her because that's what adults do. And it was a cycle that Lisa went through. As I said, inside these times, though, we were allowed into forging a new worldview or starting a new worldview, and that was happening inside of Lisa. I remember one day I was encouraged on a fostering training course to ask a question to someone that was close to me. And the question was this, what do you value in your relationship with me? Now, I almost guarantee you have never asked anyone that question because it's quite a weird question to ask. So I went to Noah, my birth son, and I said, Noah, what do you value in your relationship with me? He said, Noah, he said, Dad, have you been on a course That didn't work. So I went to Lisa and I said, Lisa, what do you value in your relationship with me? Now, Lisa, she, um, she didn't like doing it like this, you know, talking like this. So she used to write stuff down. So she wrote this down, and I've always kept it because it means so much to me. And uh, is, is it up on the screen? There you go. Now, you, for those of you who don't read Teenage, I can uh, translate this for you. I've been on a course. 
Um, first of all, it says, you're there if I ever worry about something. You're there to help. Secondly, you look out for me. Thirdly, I can trust you with a lot of stuff. Fourth, you love me when I'm really angry. By the way, I need to say now I'm a bit of a wuss about this stuff as well. So I might start booing at any point. Five, you give me good quality food, which I love. <laughs> now, this might not mean a lot to you. But I, as you can see, and I don't know how many times I've told this, it still fills me with emotion. You see, Lisa came from a place where dissociation and neglect were her life. And in this set of answers, all the things that I take for granted with my family and with my relationship with my kids told me about how she really felt about me and how she felt about our home. You see, for her being loved when she was angry, well, that was new before she would get beaten for that. Before, she didn't know if she had anyone looking out for her. She had to go it alone. Before, she didn't know if a meal was going to be coming or not. And these simple things that we take for granted are not everybody's story. I was learning what it meant to look after the orphan. I was learning what it meant to love at a whole other level. I was learning about the kind of love that Jesus spoke about in the Bible, a love that was given away when you weren't necessarily given much back or anything back, but you are called to do it anyway. But it wasn't just us, though. People inside our church were with her. They were investing in her. Had her for a few hours when she couldn't stand us anymore. They loved her too, you know. They saw who she could be and what she was always meant to be. Now, I'm going to take this moment just to tell you one of my favorite jokes. Okay. And it starts like this, because I've been aching to tell it for a little while. A young man received a parrot as a gift. And the parrot had a really bad attitude and an even worse vocabulary. Every word out of this bird's mouth was rude, it was obnoxious, and it was laced with profanity. Now, John tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying only polite words. He played soft music, anything else he could think of to clean up this bird's vocabulary. Finally, John was fed up and he yelled at the parrot. And the parrot yelled back. John shook the parrot and the parrot got angrier and angrier and even ruder. And John, in desperation, threw up his hands. He grabbed the parrot and put him in the freezer. For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed, and suddenly there was complete quiet. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Fearing that he'd hurt the parrot, John opened the door to the freezer, and the parrot calmly stepped out onto John's outstretched arm and said, I believe I may have offended you <laughs> with my rude language and my actions. I'm sincerely remorseful my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can <laughs> to create my rude and unforgivable behavior. John was stunned at the change in the bird's attitude. As he was about to ask the parrot why such a dramatic change had happened in his behavior, the bird spoke up very softly and said, may I ask what the turkey did? <laughs> you can have that if you want. Tell it tomorrow at work. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, people aren't always the same as the bird in our story. 
And, you know, if you don't believe that you're worth much, and you don't believe that you're worth investing in, um, things can fall apart. And after three and a half years, Lisa had to leave our care. And it broke our hearts. We didn't know if we were going to see her again. What did it mean? We felt like we'd lost a daughter and our kids had lost a sister. Our church had lost one of their youth. It occurred to me, actually, inside those moments afterwards, that we would never have made it this far without our church. We could never have made it this far alone. And we certainly wouldn't be able to foster without them in the future. Anyway, six months after, I was stood in church, and I was chatting to a mate, and I felt these two arms grab me from behind, and there she was. Now, Lisa had bounced around a few foster homes and finally landed in one, which was a little bit more stable, where she had requested to be taken to church. She'd asked to go to our church. And you know, I don't think she missed a Sunday from that point. And in September 2018, we had the privilege of listening to her from the front about how much the Lord had helped her and shown her what love was and is, how we as a family had and do love her and how the church had never given up. She was baptized that morning. So here's my point, right? I will get, I'll get round to it. <laughs> what if the church and people in our networks could be known for making sure that no kid in Baines was left without a loving home? And what if you could be part of that, whether it be to take a kid yourself or help others to do so? What if your legacy could be one where a young person looks at you and says it was because of your love and care that changed everything for them? What if the network of people around you could support you and a young person in your care so that they could relearn what love really looks like? What if you could give a child a home where they could be a child again? One where they don't have to feel scared of domestic violence anymore. One where they can slowly learn that there'll be a meal waiting for them rather than having to find it themselves. One where they can learn that they are worth loving and deserve a fair shot at life. God is really clear about this stuff as well, I think. It says in Matthew 18, 5, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. You see, the church to Lisa was never about singing or a sermon. It was about the people in it. It was about feeling safe. It was about feeling loved, even when she rejected it. She actually helped me to understand what a good church is. I asked my wife, remember I told you she was a therapist, what's the number one cause of breakdowns in foster and adoptive placements? And she said, oh, love, it's nearly always the network around that carer or family that can't or won't help. So what better environment then than a church that is committed to support and love and have an absolute drive to help a young person believe that they have unending value. At the end of 2017, I started work for a charity called Home for Good in the Baines area, and I come underneath the Genesis Trust banner, which I know you guys are uh, linked with. The charity has got a really simple mandate, and that is to find a home for every child that needs one in the UK. Now, that sounds like a tall order, but how about if I frame it like this? 
There are around 15,000 kids needing a home. And there are about 15,000 churches. So the maths isn't very difficult, is it? One family, one carer from every church, and the rest of us coming around that family. So I'm encouraging people into fostering and adoption. I'm supporting those that do so. And I'm working with churches and key figures in our area to understand the need and to create environments just like St. Swithin's who can come around uh, foster and adoptive families and support them as they go. I really believe that the church has got so much to say here and that a group of people who look at a kid who believes that they are worthless can start the job of rebuilding and reminding them of their worth. Do you know what that means for a kid from one of these backgrounds? It can literally change everything. Don't you think that Jesus in the Christmas story is showing us that the divine is amongst the vulnerable? And as a bloke, I can share that to be a dad to someone who doesn't have one, to be a guiding voice, a steady hand, a voice of encouragement rather than fear. It is the ultimate pleasure to have a sceptical young person accept you as their father figure. There are so many kids who are orphans of a dad or mum who can give them what they need to thrive. You know the statistics for kids leaving care in our country? 22% of female care leavers become teenage parents. 24% of the adult prison population are care leavers. 11% of homeless young people are care leavers. 38% of care leavers are not in education, training, or employment. Now, you know what these numbers tell me? That they have never found the home or the love that they accept for themselves. They tell me that the chances are that they haven't found that rock of someone that they can call mum and dad and sees them as their kid. And as I said, this is not necessarily the easiest life. Far from it. In fact, it might be the most difficult thing that you ever do. Helping someone who has been hurt in some of these ways might push you to the edge in some ways. But I want to say this. It is worth it. This is about helping someone rediscover who they're always meant to be. This is about identity and family. This is about being a home for good. You know, every so often, Lisa and I, uh, we message each other. In fact, probably most days, actually. Even though we've actually got another foster daughter live with us now. She asks about my day and we talk about our plans. And my kids see her quite often as well. And I know we drive each other nuts as well. That's part of life. But I tell you what, she calls me dad. Now, a little while ago, I was, uh, I was sharing in a church, and Lisa came along, and we chatted afterwards, and she went, do you know what? I should come and tell my story too. And I said, are you saying we should go on tour? <laughs> I said, yes. So Lisa would love to come and share a bit of her story. Is that all right? And then we're going to talk to you afterwards. Thank you. Do you want, do you want that one there? Do you want to come back a bit? Yeah. Okay. As I was growing up with my sister Charlie, Charlie was my closest sibling. We grew up, grew up with our other siblings and our birth family. Growing up in our family home wasn't a good experience. As we saw violence between our mum and dad, 
Our dad would go out and get drunk, and then he would come back and start smashing the place up. He would throw plates, cups, and would hurt my mum. My dad would then hit me and my brothers and sisters. My brother rang the police. They came straight away. The police arrested my dad. Then the police took me and my siblings away from our family home. All of us were placed in care. Charlie was eight and I was five. When we were put with our first foster family, my brothers were put somewhere else. We would have contact with them once a month and we were meant to see our birth parents as well. They never turned up though and they would make excuses. Me and my brothers and sisters would get really excited about meeting them, but then we were let down. When we were with our first foster parents, Charlie would do all the talking as I was really nervous and scared. I was still in a shock because we were not with our birth family. After a while, Charlie and I had to move again as our current foster carers were getting too old to look after a couple of young kids. We met our new foster family in Birmingham, where I am from, for the first time. I was really nervous, but Charlie was okay meeting them. Charlie did all the talking for me as I didn't really know what was going on as I was young. Charlie and me moved to Trowbridge to be with our new foster family. Charlie and I lived there for three years, but eventually Charlie and I had to be split up because the placement didn't, didn't work out for her. Charlie left, but I stayed there for a few months. And unfortunately, there were some problems in the family home that meant I had to move again. But before I moved again, before I moved, another meeting was set up to meet my new foster family. The meeting was to see was for me to get, you, get, to get a bit used to them and see if we liked each other. I met Carly and Dave at a family fun day with their two birth kids. When I eventually moved into the Kingswoods household, I didn't speak much because I was shy, upset, and didn't know what to expect. When I was at Carly and Dave's, I would worry about whether they were going to give me a hot dinner as I was always reminded that at home I was neglected by my birth mum and dad. It was difficult to change my thinking about which adult, adults would look after me properly as I was neglected for my first few years. I have to say, growing up with Christians was a bit weird because I didn't know what being a Christian was until I went to church with Carly and Dave. Going to the church for the first time was a bit of a shock to the system. It took me a long time to trust people in the church as, they were, as there were a lot of new faces and people I have never met before. Slowly I started trusting some more people like my youth worker. Carly used, used to read the Bible story to her two kids, Noah and Hope, before bed. I would go and listen, but I didn't really understand it. I then joined the local youth club on a weekday and a weekend at church. Living with Carly and Dave gave me so many memories. We went on holiday and after a long time, I decided, um, decided to call them mum and dad. My old memories and feelings got the be better of me uh, after a while though, and I became a bit unsafe in some of my behaviors for no and hope. After a while, I was put into another foster placement. When I got there, I realized I missed church so much, so I asked to go. They brought me back to my church every Sunday. On the first Sunday, I went up behind my dad and put my arms around him. We hugged for ages. After a while of being in church, I realized that I wanted God to be in my life, and I asked to be baptized. 
My dad couldn't really pray for me because he kept crying. <laughs> Having the life I have is really tough, and I still have struggles now, and I still have memories of dark times in my life. Having a path like mine is really hard, and letting a vulnerable kid into your home will teach you a lot. You get to support them in every way you can. Allowing a vulnerable kid into your home means that you are showing them how to take care of themselves again. You are also protecting them against any harm. Although it sounds difficult, growing up in care was the best thing that happened to me. I've learned so much that I would not have been taught if I was at home. I can use the washing machine, I can cook for myself and other people, and I know how to pay bills. For those of you who don't already do so, I would recommend you guys to foster or adopt because you could really help someone's life by helping them and caring for them. I really appreciate the help. I really appreciate the help the foster families have done for me, and I want to say a big thank you to my mum and dad for helping me become who I am today. And I am really grateful, and I still go to church every Sunday. Um, bless you guys. Thank you for having us along. We're going to be sticking around for a while after your meeting. So if you'd love, we'd love to come and chat to you. Uh, just sit back and have a cup of coffee. Thank you, Frank.